Welcome to She Inspires Me. I'm your host, Caroline Bruni, founder of She Inspires Me and Organize Curate Design. Launched as a Facebook passion project back in 2017, She Inspires Me was reborn as a podcast in 2020 to highlight the incredible women we all encounter in our everyday lives. Thanks to our key sponsor, Organize Curate Design, I welcome you to season two, another year of sharing the stories of inspirational women. Welcome to another episode of She Inspires Me. It is such a pleasure to have with me today, Maisy Jerry. Maisy, how are you today? I am great. I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me, Caroline. Uh, I'm moving into my new house tomorrow, so nothing can bring me down this very second. Oh, that is fantastic. Well, we'll get to that as we chat about what's on the horizon and what's coming up for you. But so I can share your story and a little bit about you and introduce you to our listeners, let me share a little bit with them. So Maya C is a human-centered technologist. She specializes in agile software delivery, agile team development, coaching, and product thinking. As a senior consultant for over six years, she worked with teams across Australia, UK, China, and India in various industries developing modern digital businesses. She is currently a senior delivery lead at REA Group, leading engineering teams responsible for organizations' customer core platforms. Mayasi is an executive board member of Incubate Foundation. Her passion is in making education accessible to every child and increasing the leadership of women in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, also known as STEM. Throughout her platform, The Art of Otherness, she showcases oral literature from around the globe and amplifies conversations on fearless authenticity. Now, I have so many questions because there was so much in that. But my first question, because there's stuff I don't, like I love this because I get to learn about all the stuff that I don't know about and share it with our listeners. Yeah. What is agile software? Because I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm sure a few people, if you're not in technology, uh, you're kind of like, what? Don't no clue. Build software anyway? Don't you just build and develop? Um, um, so agile is a framework. I think for the longest time, building software was hampered by, you know, it would take like six months to a year to build something, you'd put it out to customers, it doesn't work, the product um, doesn't work, customers don't like it. And so the Agile framework came in to kind of help people get feedback quickly. And it's part of the development process. And to simplify it, it involves collaboration. So you have developers, business analysts, product people, designers sitting together and working through the problem together instead of just it being siloed. Developers mm. get code, analysts just check the requirements, and then it gets to the end and it's like, oh, it's not, not working. Happen. They're not talking to each other. Exactly. So it's a framework right. that brings in that collaboration, and it's very much about having small releases and then mm -hmm. get feedback from that. So you give your customers a little bit of value, see whether they like it, get feedback, and then enhance on it. And so smaller releases going out, instead of waiting for six months, for 12 months, you kind mm -hmm. of like quickly see, does the market like it? No, let's change it. Um, mm. And a lot of the, you know, the big companies, whether it's Google or Facebook, um, or even with us at REA, if you don't get feedback from people that something is bad, how will you know how to improve? And mm -hmm. so you're constantly testing, you're constantly experimenting and pivoting. And that way you ensure you're giving your customers uh, the value that you need. So Agile yeah. is just like a framework to do continuous delivery, continuous mm -hmm. improvement of processes and practices and make sure we're giving customers value. So I guess if we took out the word software, we could apply that to any kind of business sense um, or any type of rollout of a project or a, or whatever else. And, and don't get me wrong, there's a not, there needs to always be a balance between let's check with our customers or consumers about every single thing because then you'd never get anything done because you're trying to please too many people and it gets, it gets too hard. But I, I, I guess the concept of how you just described that 
to me is brilliant because it's a combination of using all the experts under your umbrella, yeah, making sure that all of their elements are speaking to each other and you're getting a really collaborative approach, but you're also checking in, testing, making sure that what your consumers needed six months ago is still relevant because I'm sure in the space of technology that it's moving really rapidly. Yeah, definitely. And you're right. And it's it's used in various forms. I think the the process itself and the framework, if you're in the NGO space or in the government space, you'll hear it co-design, you know, go out to the community that you're working with, co-design mm-hmm. a service with them. Uh, if you're in manufacturing, you'll hear about the lean principles um, mm. that Toyota has introduced. So Agile also kind of like um, incorporates those. So I think in different industries, it's called different things. But definitely, even in my life, like I have a whole board of like what I'm supposed to be doing, how it's progressing. Am I checking? Am I reflecting? Um, but it works even like in your day-to-day life. In day-to-day life, Yeah. yeah. That is fantastic. And a lot of us probably do that and don't realize that we do, but I know there would be someone listening going, no, I just do my stuff my way and that's my way or the highway. And it's like, come on, you could be a bit more collaborative. You might get a bit more out of it. And you could do a bit more reflection and actually figure out where you need to improve. And I think Mm. getting feedback, whether it's on your personal growth or whether it's in your career growth, um, Mm. it's beneficial. Yeah, definitely. So in your in my intro, as we were sharing a little bit, I was sharing a little bit about you with our listeners, there was a mention of human-centered technology. So what, and I kind of think I know what you're going to say because we're already touching on that human collaborative approach, but what is um, human-centered technology or a human-centered technologist and, and why do we need more of that in in what we're doing as, as we develop as a as a society and all the things that we're creating? Yeah. So I think um, the way I kind of like rephrase it sometimes for myself is a lot of the times when we have um, technology that's going up, it's not that we don't center people or we don't think about people, but sometimes we don't think about the broader implications. And to think about it, like, you know, there's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and there's a lot of ethical issues in those areas. Um, So there's a lot of talk about how do we build these machine learning systems or artificial intelligence that's going to ensure that, you know, in the future, (laughs) machines don't take over. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But to bring it back, like, not all of us are building uh, self-driving cars or predictive healthcare systems, but a lot of us have, you know, some ideas about products or services that would like to see out there in the world. And, you know, when the whole world opens up or when we can all travel a little bit more, an example I can use is when you get that seat in the flight that you like or you get the meal that you like on your flight, without uh, having told specifically Mm -hmm. say, hey, this is what I want. And all of a sudden you like that experience of, oh my God, they actually got to understand me. Um, Mm -hmm. But where are they getting their data from? For them to understand. Well, that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, as you were giving me that example, I'm like, that sounds amazing. But then I was like, how did they know that? Exactly, exactly. So I think, for me, those types of things, like when you simplify them, it, the comfort that we get uh, has implications. So when you're thinking about your service that you're going to be giving out, uh, you need to be thinking about not just the impacts on the humans right now, but in the future as well. Like, what are you going to be doing with this data in the future? What does it mean when people are giving up this data? Do people actually know they're giving up this data? Are you giving them information of what you're getting? Um, Mm. There's a lot of implications. And sometimes people have like, I have a great product idea. I have a great service idea without really centering the human now and the human um, in future generations and really thinking about implications. So that's what I kind of like think about when I'm thinking human-centered. 
are we thinking about the implications and repercussions of the services we're building? Mm. It might allow us some comfort, but what does that comfort mean? You know, right now there was like, oh my God, social media is the greatest thing uh, created on earth. We can talk to our relatives. I have relatives in Zambia. When I came to Australia, I'm like, oh, how do I keep up with what they're doing? Mm. Uh, so, you know, social media kind of like breeds that gap. But yeah. there's an issue with social media right now. People are spending so much time um, looking at, you know, their screens and taking away from that human connection. There's an increase in, you know, uh, from if you're using social media for a long time, you know, there's research that says depression, anxiety, loneliness, you know, yeah. is increasing. So again, what are the implications of not just now, but later? Because we're seeing the implications of social media now um but when they were creating it it's not like you know we were thinking about all the other impacts that it would have on human um life and day-to-day life Mm. no that's so true and and i guess it's hard like don't get me wrong yeah it's an incredible challenge because we adapt so quickly to the technology that is put on offer to us all day every day it's changing so rapidly um, and there is definitely an ethical component to the people that are sitting behind this technology to know that they are thinking of the humans today but the humans that will be interacting and and involved with that technology yeah. and, and that that their data is being collected at this point in time. So, okay, well, that, that makes more sense to me and to me, that sounds like common sense, though, but I know that that's not how business works. Exactly. And I know that sometimes the dollar can be r- driving the outcome versus the human experience and the, the safety um, and privacy of human yeah. beings. So yeah. that is an interesting but very needed area that you obviously are choosing to to um, specialise in and work in. You mentioned that you you know, you're from Zambia and um, you've obviously worked in so many places around the world. How are you finding um, Australia to be? How long have you lived here for? And, and what has, um, what's been your kind of observations of how things are progressing around the world or even where you're from versus where we are here in Australia, especially in regards to STEM? Yeah. That was a really like three part so question. Really- <laughs> Take your time with that one. <laughs> I'll answer the, the, the parts that I remember. Um, so I've been in Australia for the last 15, getting to 16 years. Um, so kind of like, you know, Australia has had my youth, my, 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 my creativity. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, which is a good thing. It's a good thing because I, I, I have learned a lot and grown a lot. Um, in my context of having the Australian context. I think in terms of um, diversity, the conversations that I like around Australian and how we're doing STEM is really, I think for a long time, people have considered, you know, the push in diversity to be very much like a gendered lens. You know, we need more women in STEM. Um, But nowadays, a lot of the conversation is uh, changing to actually say, what type of diversity do we have? Because really that matters. You know, there's a lot of examples of um, large companies, especially, you know, public or private companies that don't have an exec of color, uh, whether it's Mm -hmm. a man or a woman. Uh, So when you start thinking about STEM, um, science, technology, engineering, maths, that, that's even worse, right? Like mm. in terms of do we have diversity in the C-suite, in the leadership positions? So mm. I like the context that in Australia, I feel like the conversation is getting there. Um, mm. I haven't seen the changes in the data yet because I was just uh, before the podcast in my kind of like just reviewing where the stats are at. Uh, just mm-hmm. a report that came out last year from WEGA. We still have, like, in Australia, like, 14.1% um, of women in, in STEM. STEM. 
leadership. And it's kind of like, wow, that number is still very low, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> still yeah. very low. But the discussions are really getting to a point where people are actually thinking about what type of diversity and starting to tackle how do we get the different kinds of diversity up into those leadership teams. So mm-hmm. I want to see myself as an engineering manager one day. I want to see a black CTO who's a woman or a woman of color or an indigenous um, Australian woman. Yeah. Those things are quite important in terms of, you know, aspects of people seeing themselves in those types of roles. So the good part is we're having those conversations and um, it would be good if we actually, those conversations moved to us seeing people in those roles. Yeah, no, that's so true. And I, we have we, I say we as in this podcast, has had the topic of diversity in so many ways, um, so many times. Um, and being a woman of colour myself, it is something that I speak very passionately about. But you hit the nail on the head when you when you essentially said that you can't be what you can't see. We can't be encouraging our young brown, black girls um, or our young indi- um, Indigenous girls who are interested in this space to pursue that path because it's a hard path. Like there's work to be done. It's not. It's not like they can just click their fingers and, and be an engineer or whatever. They ha- they've got to do the work. They've got to gain the skills. But if they feel that they're looking up, and every time they look up, they're not represented. They can't see a pathway then sometimes when you're doing all of that work but you feel like there's a ceiling, that's incredibly disheartening. So, yeah, that that is fantastic. And it's such a, just such a great point to be pointing out across the board when we talk about diversity because we need to have representation right across the board for so many things. But, um, yeah, you definitely can't be what you can't see. Exactly. Are you finding that people are doing certain things in the space of making that change um are there things that you've noticed that are working or is it still a little bit of an unknown yeah so I think that things that I've seen work are um and specifically I guess my journey is in the context of when I was a consultant uh with ThoughtWorks and now at REA and then with some other people who are um in kind of like big organizations so I have friends who are at NAB, um, at the big banks. So that that's kind of like the context I'll frame that in. Um, mm-hmm. What has been working is um, when you have allyship and support with your leader and they can see you and highlight you. I think there's a big difference between seeing you and acknowledging that you're working hard, but also highlighting you and the skill set that you're bringing, the changes that you're bringing and pushing that up. So I think once you have leaders that are doing that, there's a lot more shift than just saying, oh, we have a diversity program and these people are in the diversity programs. I have a pet peeve like with diversity programs. I really do because um, aside from the connotations that some people get that are negative about them and people just being, oh, it's because you're not in the diverse. No, it's not. It's because you're actually good at your job and you do your job right. Mm -hmm. But then it doesn't give people a career path of what's going to happen to you in terms of growing as a leader and do you have the support to grow as a leader? So organizations that just have like diversity programs that's going nowhere like really it's just like a you know dangling a carrot in front of people mm-hmm. and and I'll challenge organizations to really invest in looking at talent and really growing their talent by having your executive leaders really support and champion growing people up the level instead of just saying we had 100 people in the diversity program but not even one has moved up in their mm. in the last five years, right? Yeah. The important aspect is really seeing to push people and that needs exec leadership. It needs leadership to realize the potential of people and then support mm. them, highlight them and give them the support they need. Yeah. And I guess what's challenging in this space is that this isn't a new topic. Mm. We know that it's 
it, it's front and oh, it's not front and center, but it, it's definitely on the topic board of discussions that organizations are having. Um, but the challenge is when organizations choose to do things that are great on paper, and that's what these programs sometimes are there they can say well we did this and we created this so we tick this box but if it's not in the character and the core and the values of the organization to actually make change Mm. if it's not in the values of the senior leaders to as you said not only acknowledge but to highlight and to continue to highlight um, and to make space for more positions at the table and and whatever else, then we aren't going to see change. We're just going to see the tick boxes and the the policies and the diversity teams or whatever they're calling them. Um, And that's all a bit of, um, I think it's classed as lip service. I personally use that term, so I hope I'm using that correctly, but that's what it seems like to me. Yeah, and a lot of gaslighting, right? Because the people in the mm. diversity programs or in whatever programs are, are like, oh my God, it's going to be great. I'm going to see myself. And then you're kind of like, oh, I, I've, I've been at this for a while. How come mm. I'm not elevating? Um, mm. it's, you know, it's both ways. I'm not saying the people, us, yeah, you've people, still got I shouldn't work for it working for it but it goes both ways you're working really hard your organization has to meet you somewhere to help Mm. elevate yeah Yeah. no that's very very true and you did you know you've raised such valid and um clear ways that people can be making change as well so that to me is fantastic they're they're could be if some senior leaders listening and and all business owners and they don't have to be in these large corporations that are huge small businesses can be making change in the space as well and and it's really just looking at who is in your portfolio and and what um what what's missing what's missing from your and that not only gives you the opportunity to be working out what's missing but with diversity comes new ideas, comes a fresh perspective, comes a different um, stage of stage of life, walk of life, all of those things. And um, even if we go back to what you were saying about agility and not having the silos, if you can add more to that mix, then you're you're always going to end up with a better service, better product, better outcome um, for the business. So yeah, that is incredible. Now, one of the other challenges in in this space, especially for women, is around the pay gap. Now, obviously, the majority of our listeners are women. There are a few men, and I I know they're out there. Probably one of them is my husband because he's so lovely and, and makes a point to listen to my podcast. Um, we appreciate but, your listenership. <laughs> yes, thanks, guys. If you're listening, um, it's and we're, it's always funny when I know that there are some men that listen because I'm like, we're not man bashing. We're just talking about stuff that we're yeah. passionate about. Um, but. I think there's still people out there that don't understand what the pay gap is. And then I think there's people out there that still don't understand that the pay gap is different yet again for for, for women of colour. So can you just help us understand what the pay gap is and then how it impacts women of colour in a, in a whole other way? Yeah. So to simplify it, um, I would say the pay gap um, is that situation for those of you who've seen this uh, situation in your lives where you're kind of like, I'm hustling along, I've had my pay negotiations and I'm like, you know, doing the work um, and there's myself and there's John, we're in the same role, we do the same work, you know. Um, so we're at an equal level. And then one day I'm at the copier and I'm like, oh, something's left in the copy. Oh my God, What? John gets how much? He is getting 20K more than me. How come? I can't even the bubble of anger that's in my tummy at John right now. It's not even really John's yeah. fault, but um, damn you, John. <laughs> so then you're kind of like, ha, huh, my God, I need to have a conversation here. But I think there's a lot of research out there that talks about, and it has been shown that men and women, same level, same skill set, men will get higher salaries as compared to women. Parts of this are, you know, the, the research says, you know, women are not so good at negotiating. They're not so good in their relationships. Men are better. So, you know, really, if you think about your 
the components of what comes into your pay. There's the relationships. Uh, who in the leadership is working with you, supporting you, highlighting you, showcasing you? That is very important. There's also you knowing your worth and your value in the market. And then um, there's also then the component of are you doing the work like you? Are you actually bringing value to the company? Are you doing more than you're supposed to be doing? Like in terms of meeting expectations, are you getting higher? And then, you know, your pay kind of gets those, some of those three components and then other things get added onto that. So that pay gap is worsened, I, I believe, from research that has come out in from the UK in the last couple of years. I would say similar in Australia, even though I don't think Australia, we have the data, like we have no data to kind of yeah, we don't. that. But I haven't seen any, any yeah, studies specifically out of Australia anyway. Out of Australia. But uh, I would say in the Australian con- context, it might be pretty close as well. And what mm. is, I guess, you and I, like, I'm not going to come to you and say, hey, so, you know, Caroline, I am getting 70K. How much are you getting? Yeah. Like, oh, it's so taboo yeah, to talk about money. Yeah, and I don't know what it's like in other countries, but in Australia, you don't do that. It's, it's just, it's frowned upon. It's not at all. And I think there's, um, there's um, what is it called? Adam ruins everything. They, they, like, they, there's a little sketch that he does about why it's important for you to tell your co-workers your salary. I love that. Anyone who hasn't, like, just Google Adam Ruins everything. Um, we'll I'll have to write, we'll write it down. We'll add it to the show notes. Adam yeah. Ruins Everything. Adam Ruins Everything, why you should tell your co-workers your salary. Um, it's hilarious, but it actually shares the truth about the challenges of pay negotiations because of the tabooness, because we don't talk about it. And I am not going to know that you are getting more than me until maybe some random conversation somewhere. And I'm like, oh, and then it's a weird conversation as well. I'm not going to go to my okay. manager and be like, so John is getting 20K more than me. What? <laughs> Yeah, what did John do that was so great? <laughs> and how long has this been going on for? Because now I need exactly. to do maths on how long we've been doing this and yeah. how out of pocket I am. Yeah. Yep. So some of the things that I, I, I believe are important and I've seen these in um, organisations that I've worked for is transparency on the salary bands. So obviously, you know, it, it depends on company and all of that. I don't want people going out and just, publishing all their salaries. Right? Don't assume that y- you are in this situation because there are things in Australia where there's an award rate yeah. that industries pay against so, an award and that is yeah. there's no salary negotiation. If you work in retail, you probably just get paid X amount. Um, yeah. It's very different in different industries. Very so, different, no. different contexts, different. So think about your contents. But I do believe it's important to say this is the band that people are on to say, all right, so for people who are senior managers or for people who are senior developers, the salary band is from X to Y. And that transparency helps people even think about their worth in the company, their worth uh, on the market, because otherwise we're constantly stuck in this trying to actually bridge the gap um, mm but you actually don't know how you're bridging the gap and we don't have enough data and people are finding it hard to have the pay negotiations um, to kind of like really boost themselves up. Um, and that's a challenge. It's, it's a challenge more for, I believe people of cold backgrounds, you know, like whether you're culturally um, or linguistically diverse in the Australian context, because I believe a lot of us just want to do the hard work and say my hard work will show. And once they see my hard work, I will get promoted. That is one component. You need the extra component of relationships. You need the extra component of support from leadership for you Mm. to get into that path. Yeah, that's so true. And well, I, I think back to when I worked in corporate and and and, and just the 
just the sheer fear of negotiating, like even during a performance review where I would go, yep, I've done this and I've done that. And, and like you'd look through your position description and you'd look through maybe your previous performance review and you'd say, I have definitely done all my, like I'm meeting my KPIs, I'm I'm doing this. And in addition to that, I may have done X, Y, Z because I'm a hard worker and I, I'm an intuitive and innovative and whatever else. But the moment we had to talk about money, and I'm talking 10 years ago now, my stomach would turn to water and I'd get really embarrassed and it would be really, really hard. And don't get me wrong, I think I'm a little bit different now. If someone had to negotiate with someone, it wouldn't quite go like that. But I'm also a business owner now, so I'm in a very different space. I run my own race. And there's so many people out there that are not running their own race. They are in a hierarchy of an organization. And um there's definitely some work to be done in that space. So maybe we'll just have to see what Adam has to say in, yeah. his, <laughs> in his little skit. Um, but I also encourage it's challenging. Yeah, definitely challenging. But I also encourage people to dig in because I, I've been, you know, in these negotiations where um, I had, you know, one of my leaders just kind of go, Oh, and you know, when these things, you, you kind of like, this is what I think I'm worth on the market. This is what I've been doing, da, da, da. You, you bring your whole resume to that thing, right? Like, you know, you pump yourself up, talk to yourself. In bring the, da, da, da. Um, and then one of his um, things was like, you, you do know, like people really evaluate themselves higher than they really are. And I'm like, Okay, but what do you mean? Do you mean I am evaluating myself higher than yes, I really Is am? that like a random statement or is that about me? And he's like, no, no, no. I just wanted you to keep that in mind. And so I do understand that sometimes like you, you're going to face some challenging rebuttals. You're going to face some things that are subtle and you don't know what to do with them. But I think we should be digging in and believing in our value and our worth. Um, and if your organization really appreciates the work that they're doing, they're going to come to the table. They may not give you heaven and earth, but they, at least they will know where you stand. And it's important really for us to really accept that we are worth and we are valuable um, and really just dig in a little bit more when it comes to our salary, um, especially because it's challenging. Yes, yeah, the, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it and everyone would be making what John's making. Exactly. These extra 20, <laughs> go, go, John. Everyone would be on the somewhere getting a 20% bonus. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's so true. It, it, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And if it was easy, um, we wouldn't have to fight harder for it. And it is frustrating to know that there is a – a gender bias here that we that is underlying and, and couldn't be causing issues in this space as well. But um yeah, I have always said to every team, every team member I've ever had, be it when I've worked for organizations um and been managing people or when I've hired people in the context of my own business, I've always done two things. I've always encouraged, I've always told the person, if you're still here in five years, unless we've redeveloped your role, we've we've helped you grow and you really want to be here and this is a mutual thing, mm. something's wrong. Like you're not supposed to be here in five years. You're supposed to outgrow me um, and or if you don't outgrow me, we're supposed to make this something where there's constant development and, and constant opportunity because I can see potential in you and I want to make sure that you live that. And in addition to that, I need you to bounce with me like, you need to tell me why you want a pay rise and I'm probably going to counter that because I'm a good business person and if I just kept throwing money around everywhere, I wouldn't ever make any money. Yeah. So there needs to be a balance. But, um, yeah, it, it, but it's a skill, that negotiation and, and being comfortable with like selling yourself and, and highlighting your wins and successes because sometimes your managers don't see everything as well. Um, so you want to make sure that you're keeping a note of those and, and taking them in for those negotiations. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Um, we've talked a lot about diversity and, and your industry and technology and pay gap and all the things. Like I don't even know how we've already covered all of that in 33 minutes. But um, I'm really curious to learn more about the art of otherness because that sounds very different to everything we've just talked about. What is it? How does it work? Where can we find it? Tell us all the things. 
Yeah, so I think um, the art of otherness has kind of like evolved over the years. Um, it's an idea that I've had for, I will say, over five years. Um, it started off as just me wanting to highlight the stories of different people, um, the stories of people that, you know, were not in the popular media type of thing, like the people doing their side hustles to give some inspiration. That's why it's kind of started out. So I started off as a blog. Um, the blog was called Presu and that was around for a couple of years. Um, and then it evolved into the art of otherness in terms of, I started thinking about a platform where you could highlight and it not being a bad thing, but actually see the strength in your difference. Right. They, there's a lot of um, diverse people in Australia. There's a lot of diverse people in the world. But, you know, instead of looking at otherness as something that is challenging uh, or as something that is difficult, I wanted to create a space of otherness being celebrated, otherness being highlighted and showcased. Um, and so that's where out of otherness kind of uh, flourished. So in 2018, I launched the podcast for it as a space to actually have conversations about, you know, who you are and believing in your authenticity and using that as a strength. Um, and as well as a place for these stories, um, I grew up with my grandmother. So she used to tell me all these little different stories from when I, when she was young, when she was growing up, that were used as a way to kind of like highlight or keep the wisdom of things. And so kind of like incorporating those two things, the uniqueness of culture and celebrating different cultures and the storytelling, the wisdom that comes from those cultures. So people who didn't know those cultures could understand them a little bit. Um, so it kind of like brought those two ideas together to be the out of otherness and just be a place for inclusive cultural conversations, inclusive conversations on how to be other and be strong in your otherness. Um, and this is like, you know, it's different things. It's people working, it's people doing their arts and creative things, but mainly it's a space to showcase different stories, different people, and just highlight that we have various people doing a lot of things that can inspire other people coming up or uh, struggling in their different bounds and just be like, it's okay to be you and it's okay for you to really um, accept who you are and use that as a strength. So I try to do that as well in my life. I try to use my difference in empathy as a leader because sometimes I've been told I'm not assertive enough uh, as I was uh, kind of like climbing my way and because you know technology is very much male dominated I remember being in an interview and um, one of the interviewers going I really don't know how you're going to manage with all those men in the team are you strong enough to and I'm like yeah, of course I am. Uh, I just have a different kind of strength, buddy. I mm. say it in those types of way, but I, I, I kind of like people make the assumption they'll look at you and think you're soft, but you have a different way mm. of leadership, and I've really started yeah. to accept that. Mm. Wow, there was so much in what you just said that I was like, I was trying to mentally take notes of. From I wrote down, um, see the strength in your difference, and wow, what a what a powerful statement that is! And if that is the 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 foundation of of the art of otherness and and the stories that you bring to light, and then as you said, the, that talking about your grandmother and um, sharing stories and making sure they're passed on, and and that element is beautiful as well, and finding those strengths so knowing that it's okay to be different mm -hmm. and it's okay to then use that as your superpower because that's what you bring to the mix that um in the case of the example you just gave what the other guys couldn't bring because they were looking at things from a completely different perspective and knowing that that's your superpower in that moment that you can bring that to the mix as well so wow 
Um, do you have a favorite piece from the art of otherness? I do. I ha- <laughs> I feel like I have many favorite pieces. Yeah, I was going to say if you can nail it to one, I am impressed because I know I have- if someone said, "What's your favorite podcast episode?" I'd be like, "Don't make me choose." So many. So and, and I'm like, there might be some more coming this year that I'll be like that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I I have. I have two that that I really kind of like sit in my soul really well. One is the first story that I did, the hare and the hyena, uh, mm-hmm. because that was like it's a re- really cool collaboration with my mother. And mm. It's kind of like two people, myself and my mother, were raised. Uh, my early childhood was with my grandmother, so we're raised by you know the same woman, but at different generations, and to wow. hear the same story but to interpret it differently. So when I talked to my mom, Mm. she told me about what that story meant to her and what she remembered about its meaning. Uh, It was similar to me, but it it was quite different as well. Mm. So I loved that because it was kind of like, it it was a piece that my late grandmother had in both our souls that was quite unique to each of us when she raised us. Um, and how she told us about, you know, what it was that, you know, you shouldn't be greedy, only take what you need and mm. those types of things. So I, I love that mm. because of the connection of generations that it has. Uh, in terms of the interviews, my interview with Div Pillay, who's the CEO of Mind Tribes, um, she's such a powerhouse. I, I, I love her work. Um, I love what she's doing in really like pushing up cold women and really continuing to be fierce about challenging leaders in major organizations to really focus their attention and change their perspectives. So that was really Mm -hmm. good because I I learned a lot from her and, and I keep learning a lot from her. And I think one of the things from there was, yeah, it's a challenge but you have to do it. Somebody has to do it. If you're doing mm-hmm. work now, it means somebody else will get an easier seat at the table. And so I've carried that with me. So when I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, God, why should I be having this conversation? <laughs> why is it so hard? <laughs> I'm kind of, I have that in the back of my head that it's making it easier for the next person who's coming after me. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, I can't wait to get my hands on both of those because now I really want to go and listen and read. That's going to be the thing. So for for those of you listening who may have had the same reaction that I've just had as I've heard you speak about these two very different things um, and very different pieces um, which can be accessed through the art of otherness, we will make sure that the links are in our show notes. So the link to all of them if you want to devour every piece, um, but definitely highlighting those two um, that are your favourites because I, I really want to sit and read that piece from your grandmother and the complexity of hearing it from two voices and mm. two experiences and two points in time. Yeah. Um, but what a beautiful story to know that she lives on in both of you but in so many different ways. Wow. I get, I get all emotional and goosebumpy <laughs> and I love this stuff. Humans are amazing. Humans are amazing, um, yeah. We, we need to kind of like share these a lot more because I, I feel that's where the connection comes in. Yeah, definitely. So um, you mentioned that you've got some more interviews coming up and whatever else, but what projects are on the horizon for you for the rest of this year or, or you know, even just the next few weeks? Oh, my goodness. Where to start, Caroline? I, <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back to my Agile board and look at the things that I still yep. need to do. Yeah, where are all the things and how collaborative do I need to be and what's coming next? <laughs> what's coming next? Um, I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to is um, I was mentioning earlier I'm moving into a new place. So I'm mm. looking forward to kind of like that new journey of being in my own place. Uh, so I'm mm-hmm. excited about that. Um, But one of the things that's excitingly coming up for me is with Incubate Foundation, we run a social entrepreneurship hackathon, 
we didn't run it last year, COVID and all these things. Uh, but this year it's going to run in May. So I'm excited about that because I'm kind of like, I've been leading this program since we wanted to run it last year. And it's very mm-hmm. much about, you know, really bringing our young people from the African community to solve ideas or solve problems around employment, around leadership. Um, and from there, you know, maybe have some ideas that build up and become something of their own. So it's kind of like, how do you build up your business? How do you ideate and how do you break your idea up into something? So I'm looking Mm. forward to that. It's always a great, like the last time we read it, just having people have all these ideas and then years later to actually see it as a business, running as a business. It's it's amazing to think of where that starts. Um, So I'm excited about the hackathon that's going to come up um, in that. Um, and then my other thing is I decided sometimes I think stupidly and then sometimes I I think wisely (laughs) to do an MBA program and, Oh, wow. Just, just add it to the list of things that you're going to (laughs) do. I just add that to the list. So yeah, I'm going to be putting some time, um, doing that doing a bit of studying and um, getting to do some industry projects as well, getting to know people in the uh, MBA world. Wow. That all sounds fantastic. You have a busy year ahead of you, but we cannot wait to see what all of, what comes of all of that. We'll make sure that there's some um, links to the hackathon information as well. So if anyone's listening to that or knows someone that could be interested, um, we can definitely make sure that you can get some information on that as well. So my last question, which is my favourite, but is always a challenge for my guests because they have to choose. Um, who is the first person that comes to mind that inspires you and why? Ah, oh, can I pick two? <laughs> you can pick as many as you like. Um, like I try to make people pick one. It never works. It never Just, works. You tell me. You works. tell me who inspires you. <laughs> um, I have a cliche one. I, I think my my cliche one is my mother. Um, mm. My mom is such an inspiration to me, especially in the last couple of years. Her health hasn't been too well, um, mm. and so just seeing her through, like. You call her, she'll be constantly happy. Um, she'll be constantly telling you about all these ideas about some land that she wants to buy somewhere. I don't know where you get it from. I know, right? I don't know where you get your ambition to do 10 million things at once. <laughs> she sounds awesome. <laughs> um, but, you know, she, she's she, she doesn't let anything hamper her or bring her down. Like her health has mm. been incredibly challenging. Um, but to a point she, she's always kind of like encouraging and always doing something despite mm. her health outcomes at the moment. So every time I look at her and I think about her life and I, I think about, you know, where she's come through and where she is now, I'm kind of like, put your pants up, girl. <laughs> Get on with it. There's no time to complain. There's no time for any of that. So she's a constant inspiration to me. And um, I appreciate her being, you know, my mother, being the person that she is. Because um, mm. it, it gives me a lot of encouragement to really dig in to whatever I decide to do. Yeah. Um, on the, you know, um, world side and uh, where I'm at in life and space one of the most people that I follow and I'm really encouraged by is Kimberly um, I probably don't pronounce this name right but Kimberly Brandt is it Bryant I can never know whether the Americans call, call it Bryant I'm not like I don't think Bryant. I know who she is um, but she is the founder of Black Girls Code and okay I'll write that down so we can look her up because she's amazing amazing woman so she saw a need in the African um, American community where she was kind of seeing that girls were not getting the same access to technology education across America. So she formed her organization just as a small grassroots to help her daughters um, kind of like be on that journey. 
And that has grown massively. It's now in other parts of the world. Um, so you hear about, you know, they, in different parts of the world, there's girls who are cold, there's this, there's that. But I think the work that Kimberly did starting with Black Girls Cold really has shaped a lot of the different variations of what you see in the world. So I love her work because it's really the core of social entrepreneurship. Like, mm. you know, she, she's not just like an NGO looking at technology and uh, she saw a need in the community and she started addressing that need. And then that need as well is like a social entrepreneurship business. You know, it's, it's a business mm -hmm. now. So when I think about social entrepreneurship, I think about what problem are we trying to solve? But then once we start resolving that problem and we start growing it, how do we expand it to the other sides of the world? Um, mm -hmm. And to me, she's a woman of color who's a leader in STEM. Uh, so it's kind of like I, when I think about myself, it's not just corporate that I can you know, influence or I can work mm -hmm. in, but it, it's also like really thinking about our society because if our young people are not joining technology, then where do we get the leaders that we need to grow into execs? Um, so yeah. because, you know, you need to look at the whole food chain. So I love that mm -hmm. you know, the beginning of the food chain is young girls. We get them in, uh, we get them into careers. And then while they're in careers, we help them grow in those careers um, yeah. is important. Wow. Two incredible women yes, on definitely from different walks of life yeah. and different influences for you personally. But wow, thank you for sharing that with us and for sharing everything. We, as I said, we got 30 minutes in and my brain was like, I learned so many things already. And now we're what 50 minutes in and I'm like, wow. We will make sure um, that we have your details in our show notes for anyone um, who wants to connect with you personally, um, who wants to learn more about your projects, and um, we've—that's what we do. Everything will be in the show notes, so people can do that. Um, thank you again for being a guest on the podcast and sharing so many things with us. Um, it's just been such a pleasure. I think my mind's a little bit blown. Like I don't often get tongue-tied. I'm a little bit tongue-tied because I'm just like, how? what do I, what do I thank you for? But I thank you for so many things. And um, I think one thing that has really highlighted for me as you've shared so many elements of the things that you're passionate about and the skills that you have and and the life lessons that you've learned as you've travelled and, and lived here in Australia but worked overseas is, is the complexity of how beautiful the human being can be in the sense that you have all of these elements and, and it all comes out so passionately and um, and that you're speaking up about the things that are important to you. So thank you so much for joining us today um, and good luck with Moving House. Thank it's exciting. You. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed our chat. Um, anything that has to do with connection, I, I think you're doing a great job and just highlighting our stories and getting people connected, I think that's the most important thing. Yep, definitely. So to our listeners, thank you again for joining us and we will speak to you again on the next episode of She Inspires Me. Thank you for joining us today and for being a part of this incredible community. Remember to hit subscribe, to share this episode with your friends and family and to join us in our next episode to be inspired by more exceptional women.